We all pick up cues about sex, gender, and sexual orientation from speech, whether from a smartphone giving directions, on North Campbell Avenue for a, half mile. a fictional character in a movie. We'll put the bar over here and uh, the hors d'oeuvres over there, and we'll pass the maki and the cheese pot. Or a robocall. I urge you to vote for me this November. Yes, there are stereotypes. Stereotypes uh, do exist, but science doesn't support them, and so it's really time for those stereotypes to die. On this episode of the American Scientist podcast, Gendered Communication, I'm Robert Frederick. As you might expect, there are cultural beliefs about what people should or do sound like based on their sex, gender, and sexual orientation. So some people uh, and some cultures are more amenable to that sort of gender fluidity and that ambiguity and accepting of variation. Adrian Hancock studies voice, including transgender communication at George Washington University. For instance, African-American women can have a lower pitch and still be perceived as women, or people use the she, her pronouns, even though their pitch is not within the norms of white cisgender women. But pitch is only one of a whole host of characteristics that convey gender, sex, and sexual orientation. There's also articulation. Sometimes instead of articulation, we could use the word enunciation, pronunciation. Intonation is how pitch changes across the sentence. I also mentioned volume and rate. So if we talk really fast, that's a rate rate issue. But there's even more nuance to it. As example, Hancock shares audio clips of a before and after voice training of a 15-year-old who wanted to sound more female. In the two clips, before and after voice training, the teenager is describing the same picture. Here's a bit of what she sounded like before training. The water is splashing all over the place, and the window is open. It looks like maybe there's a breeze coming through the window, and uh, that's it. <laughs> and then this is uh, after several months, about nine months, I believe, of, of training and, and working on it. Okay. Margaret has just made a delicious dinner, but it's all vegetables, and her two children don't like it at all. So after dinner, her two children go up to the cookie jar and steal the cookies behind her back while she's washing the dishes. And while she's watching the dishes, she looks over and tries to see what they're doing, but then doesn't pay attention, and all the water spills out onto the floor. Okay, so you can see just in that brief um, picture description, she's describing the same picture both times. Obviously, pitch changed, resonance or, or tone quality of voice changed, and those are definitely the most salient gender markers, and that's what we primarily work on changing pitch and resonance or the forward tone. So if this is a really throaty resonance, there's a lot of tension back there. This is a really nasally resonance or sound. And then this is a very forward resonance where I'm almost over articulating. I'm really using the entire vocal tract to resonate and deepen the sound. But Hancock says there's no recipe for sounding female, no recipe for sounding male or heterosexual, or homosexual, or bisexual, or transgender, or intersexual, or asexual. Stereotypes uh, do exist, but science doesn't support them, and so it's really time for those stereotypes to die.
our stereotypes are mostly inaccurate. Sometimes they're true, um, or sometimes they manifest, I guess I should say, but most of the time they don't. Nick Palomares researches what causes gender-based language differences. He's from the University of California, Davis. Whether that be intonation, whether that be um, sound of S, whether that be the level of tentativeness, whether that be how many apologies you get, like all sorts of behaviors, even like um, non-verbal behaviors, but like where do I sit in a table? Like, Like who gets the head of the table? That is highly contextually dependent. And Palomare says that highly contextually dependent context is why most artificial intelligence voices are female. On North Campbell Avenue for a half mile. At least those in the United States. You can, you can change it, but the default is usually, at least in the United States, uh, a feminine sounding voice. And that, I think, has a lot to do with the fact that there's this interaction between um, sex of the of the receiver and sex of the sender and we we anthropomorphize everything even if you knowingly realize that it's it's completely non um, sentient right and as you might expect these interactions between the sex of the receiver and the sex of the sender begin as children when boys and girls voices are both still higher pitched Early in life boys and girls display speech that can be very different from one another that's Benjamin Munson who studies speech perception and production in children at the University of Minnesota, where he also trains speech and language pathologists and therapists. And children really make a sophisticated sort of social parse, let's let's use a fancy term here, social parse, of speakers that they encounter during language acquisition, which is a way of saying, you know, they learn preferentially from people who are truthful, people who are honest, people who are consistent. And we know that in things, in terms of things like learning word labels. Word labels. So which words are associated with which physical objects? What we don't know is whether or not those same cognitive, social cognitive mechanisms underlie children's learning of different speech variants. So a woman asked me, you know, if she had been raised by a group of men, would she speak like a man? Probably not, because men speak different ways in different contexts. And what the child would likely do is listen to the men around her and identify different aspects of their speech that correlated with different sort of transient states that they had. So, being excited, you might talk with a speech style that is excited. And if the child is an excited person, then she'll use that speech style. So even if this hypothetical girl were raised by a group of men, Munson says, Given that the men are going to be producing diverse speech styles to convey their diverse identities in different circumstances, she still could end up with something perceived as a female speech style because there's nothing about a female speech style that has to do with the biology of of being female. The differences are differences on average that relate uh, as much to, if not more than the uh, more to the sort of social circumstances we find ourselves in than to the biology that we are endowed with. All of which complicate transgender people's efforts to learn a different speech style that matches their gender identity. Because even though testosterone lowers voice pitch, and there are surgical options to raise pitch, Adrian Hancock at George Washington University says outcomes are better when speech therapy is paired with hormone therapy or surgery. In America, most insurances do not cover uh, gender-related services. In other countries, they do. So uh, Sweden, for instance, everyone who goes to a, a gender clinic gets, uh, gets first of all, to go. And secondly, 
it includes a voice and communication evaluation. Now, back to America, it, it highly depends on your socioeconomic uh, means. Barriers also include not even knowing that such vocal training exists or how it could help, however a person wants to sound for whatever social context. You've been listening to a podcast from American Scientist Magazine, published by Sigma Xi, the Scientific Research Honor Society. I'm Robert Frederick. Thank you for joining us.